KYW Original Podcasts. It's just a good conversation with somebody that you didn't know you were interested in. I'm Matt Leon, and this is One on One. Obviously, being a local Philly kid, how could I not choose Penn? I always used to say to Coach Zubrow and Coach Steele, whenever I see them, I said, man, thank you for taking a real risk and a shot on a skinny kid who you know was born in South Philly and grew up in Delaware County. Thank you for, for giving me that opportunity to come here and get a great education and, and to play some really top-notch football. And our guest this week, former University of Pennsylvania standout football player Joe Valerio had an exciting career in the NFL. Uh, really one of the best players University of Pennsylvania has put forth in a long time. Joe, thanks so much for joining me. Matt, it is awesome to be with you, my friend, and to be able to catch up uh, during this time and, and see you on the computer at least, which is, which is awesome. What have the last few months been like for you? How have you uh, kept yourself occupied, busy, stuff like that? You know, I've been so fortunate, Matt. I, you know, my job has been able to um, continue on, you know, remotely with being able to work in the insurance brokerage industry. I was uh, spending a lot of time in New York. Uh, even though I'm living here, you know, right outside of Philadelphia, I uh, was able to keep that going um, based on, you know, being in, in the financial services industry and a lot of our clients in the insurance and risk management uh, space are, you know, still need our services and they still need us to keep plowing ahead for them to protect them and, and keep them safe and, and provide the, you know, security of the insurance policies that they need. So, Without going into too much detail on you know boring anybody uh, with insurance speak, but you know it's I've been very lucky that I've been able to work remotely um, and be able to continue the you know the work that we're doing and and our company. I work for Willis Towers Watson. We're a global insurance broker, and you know knock on wood and thank goodness we we've all been able to get through this together with as minimal impact as possible, uh, other than the inconvenience of not being together with our, you know, with our colleagues and, and, and some of the struggles of, of having to work from home every day, uh, you know, which can be hard for some people, right? If you don't have the right space or technology, you have to make accommodations and do those things. So, you know, we've been keeping busy. Um, you know, the, my, my daughters, I, I have triplet daughters uh, that are graduated college uh, two years ago. So Taylor, Haley, and Madison are out in the real world doing their thing. Uh, luckily, they've been able to to be at home during these times, which is great. Uh, you know, two of my daughters went to Penn. Uh, my daughter Madison is a nurse in the neonatal intensive care unit, so she's taking care of little babies. So she's out on the front line. My daughter Taylor just uh, just uh, moved up to New York for medical school. And my daughter Haley works for the governor of Delaware. So she's been working in communications. So she's been really busy uh, trying to, you know, keep the constituents informed and what's going on. So my wife's back at school. She's at Penn. She's a teacher. She's working on her doctorate. Um, She's been able to do that remotely. So, you know, the family has been super busy. Um, You know, Jen's been, been taking care of school uh, and I've been working. I'm working on my MBA at Villanova. And, uh, you know, thanks to the NFL uh, program. So that's been been fantastic uh, to take advantage of some of the of the of the benefits that the NFL provides. So I've been working on that. Go Wildcats. And um, I'm also an adjunct professor at Arcadia. So I had to finish the semester in spring. I teach leadership in the sports management major program. And, you know, we had to we had to do everything online. So I learned a lot there about technology and, and dealing with students uh, in a technological way. And uh, so that's been a lot of fun. So that's 
you know, that's what we've been up to as a family. And, uh, you know, gosh, been feels like yesterday and a million years all at the same time that I left the Chiefs, you know, almost 20, what, 23, almost 24 years ago. Uh, and, you know, been in the insurance industry now, you know, what, four times the length of my NFL career. So, you know, sometimes it seems like a, a distant memory, but I've been keeping keeping a lot of the football stuff alive, especially my relationship with the Chiefs. I host a podcast um, called Believe in Chiefs on the Believe Podcast Network with a friend of mine who's a journalist out of Chicago, Jeff Fedoten, and we host a, a weekly podcast on the happenings uh, and the goings-on of, of the Chiefs organization, and, and we touch on a lot of NFL stuff as well. You know, that kind of sums up what we've been doing, uh, you know, since we probably last saw each other and had one of our lunches in Center City, Matt, <laughs> and uh, I really miss getting to see you and uh, spend time, you know, grabbing a meal and, and catching up and hearing how your family is doing as well. Absolutely, and I look forward to doing that one day eventually again (laughs) so let's go back in time sports wise was football growing up always at the top of your list or were you a kid who played whatever was in season yeah you know when you when you're a child of the 70s and 80s you know we did what we did it all you know we went from you know I was I could never skate which was a sad part of my, cause hockey is one of my favorite sports, but we were big street hockey fans. You know, we were always, you know, donning whatever plastic we could wrap around our legs uh, and whatever, you know, asphalt we could grab and put some makeshift nets up, uh, you know, but I was, you know, street hockey in the, in the fall and the, and the, and the winter baseball, Matt, to be honest, was probably my first love. Um, I always thought that I was going to play baseball in college, um, that was where I was kind of headed into my junior year uh, of high school was, was looking at some options and some opportunities to continue on uh, as, a, as a college athlete playing baseball uh, as a catcher. But, you know, in, in 10th grade, I went from 5'10 to 6'5 in one year. So, you know, I had to stop wrestling, which was another sport that I did up until high school. Um, you know, at 6'5, you know, 195 pounds. There is no, there is no weight class for that, for that makeup. Uh, I was not going to be a dominant wrestler at six, five, 195. just did not have the body type for it. So I transferred over to basketball. So I did basketball in high school, my senior year, got to play against Billy Owens and at Carlisle and the playoffs and, and play at the palestra in front of a sold out crowd, um, which was awesome knowing that I had already committed there for football uh, in the district four, uh, or the district one final four, which was fantastic. So, uh, you know, basketball, field, uh, ice hockey, all kinds of, you know, sports that, that we would just do it and, you know, go down to the, to the lake when it froze and, and, and skate around. We just had a blast. I, I and I think it, it really helped me develop as an athlete and probably helped me. I boxed, you know, gosh, I almost forgot about that. I boxed for four years. My brother started a, an amateur boxing club, so for four years, we uh, we would do bouts around City Kensington, Briarcliff, Ridley, uh, you know, where I grew up. We would head uh, Upper Darby, had a really nice club, Media Boys Club, had a really good uh, boxing squad. So, you know, I tried to do it all, um, you know, and have fun with it. And I'm a, I'm a big proponent of that, you know, that people should develop, um, you know, all their skills if they want to if they want to have fun in sports. So you mentioned that growth spurt. Were you always you made your hay in college and in the NFL as an offensive lineman. Were you always a lineman in high school or 
did you play multiple positions and it became apparent that that was going to be your path? Yeah, I was, um, I was always a lineman until, um, Matt Blunden, who was, you know, ended up, we ended up playing together in Kansas city. He was second round draft pick in 1992. I went to Virginia as a two sport athlete, played basketball and football. And at the time when we were at Ridley, we were classmates, um, graduated together and we've been friends since we were, you know, five years old. There was a seat there was, I'd always played line to answer your question, but there was one season, seventh grade, Matt had to sit out sports for whatever reason. So I raised my hand and I became a quarterback um, in seventh grade. And um, as soon as Matt came back out for football in eighth grade, I'll never forget Coach Walk, uh, who was also one of, one of our social studies teachers. He turned to me and said, well, Joe, he said, Matt's playing football this year. Um, you've worn a 70s number before, haven't you? And I was like, oh, here we go again, back on the front line. Because, you know, Matt was throwing the ball 60, 70 yards on a rope in eighth grade at six foot four. And, uh, you know, I was shot putting the football, basically. So, yeah, so I, I hit the line again and, and stayed there for the, for, the re- for the rest of my career, Matt. So I had a little taste of what it was like to play, um, you know, to play, uh, to play quarterback for, for one season. And, man, it was glorious. Yeah, I was going to say, so how – I mean, even in that at age group, how tough was it going from the position that has all the attention to uh, a position where the better you do your job, usually the less you get noticed? Exactly. I mean, I, it, I'll tell you a funny story. My dad, you know, my dad was a professional boxer in Philly, right? Grew up in South Philly. And, uh, you know, he was, he liked football. He, he, he enjoyed it. He wasn't a, he wasn't like, I would say growing up, he wasn't a huge fan. I mean, he, he watched games, but he never played it. Right. So he never played football. He, he was, he was always, he'd always been concentrating his life in boxing, whether it was through amateur or the pro ranks. And I'll never forget coming home, you know, this is back in an era when, you know, it wasn't anybody's fault. But, you know, parents didn't like come to your tryouts or they didn't go to your practices. You were lucky if parents back in the 80s came to a game, right? It's just like it's a totally different way of growing up than it is today, right? I mean, I think about all the – I don't think I ever missed one of my daughter's games from Little League all the way up through some college sports. So so I came home and I'll never forget, you know, the, the coach took us through like a little combine, right, when, when I first tried out for football. Um, and and we get there and the, and, and the coach, you know, puts us in positions and he says – you know, okay, Valerio, you're, you're in at right guard. And I said, well, right guard. I said, my dad uses deodorant called right guard. Like, what are you talking about? What is a right guard? I didn't even know what a guard was, let alone the right one. And so I come home and I tell my dad, I, I, I said, dad, I said, he said, well, how did the tryouts go, son? I said, great. I'm going to play on the, on the, on the line. And he said, oh, that's great, son. And I said, oh, dad, I said, like, you know, and I'd watched enough football, obviously, as a five, six, seven year old, right. That I was a big football fan. And I said to my dad, I said, dad, I, when am I going to get my name on the, on the loudspeaker? He says, "Mm, when you get a holding penalty. And I was like, oh man, I said, like, when am I going to get my name in the paper? He says, well, when you jump off sides on fourth and one on the goal line, (laughs) I was like, and I, you know, dad, what about the captain of the cheerleaders this Sunday? Only day quarterbacks. Like it just like, you know, he, he, he just put it all in perspective, but you know, the, the thing that I learned by playing offensive line that I've taken with me my whole life um, is that I learned to find joy in helping other people score touchdowns. And I even, I've taken that into every aspect of my life from parenting to being husband, to, you know, to work, to my career. Like I really, really love helping people score touchdowns, right? And you're in, you're in the mix, you're on the bottom of the pile and you see the, 
see the running back go over and Marcus Allen and Joe Montana dive over the pile, you know, to score that touchdown and, and everybody cheers. And you just like, you're like, yeah, like I did, I helped that. I was, I was in the mix and I've actually learned to really enjoy it. Um, and, and I think that's what offensive linemen do, right? They're, they're selfless in their approach to finding joy in other people uh, being successful, knowing that what they did you can't you can't do it without you, right? You can't you know you could have all the greatest quarterbacks in the world. So it's an approach an approach I've taken to life from that little lesson I learned as a six year old coming home very disappointed, telling my dad that I was playing offensive line, and he said, "Well, son, you know what? Yeah, you got to make now. You just got to be the best one at that and make the best of it." When do you start to realize that you're going to be able to take football further? than others when do you start getting calls from colleges and when do you start kind of noticing that people are noticing you a little bit more than everybody else uh, that's really nice of you to say Matt I, it was it was a it was a long road in, in thinking that way because I really did I really did enjoy playing football like I love playing I mean I playing football at Ridley you know, especially when I played during the 80s I mean we had some fantastic players long lines of great players and great teams and I, it was, there was a big sense of pride of playing football at Ridley but you know for me, not having that physical stature that was, um, you know, going to give me that full ride to Penn State or Michigan or Ohio State, I just didn't have it. You know, I mean, coming into my sophomore year, I'm 5'10", 170 pounds, 165 pounds. And then my junior year, I sprouted up, but I was so thin that, you know, it was like I wasn't going to be making – I wasn't going to be catching a lot of people's eyes. I hadn't really grown into my body at that point. And baseball looked like it was going to be the thing that I did. And then I have to say, it was it was in the fall of my senior year, I get this trifold brochure from the University of Pennsylvania, and I bring it home. And it was, you know, a lot of times back then, remember, there's no email, there's no social media, you know, there's no, you know, it's this is snail mail era, right? So the way that the teams used to do it is they would send stuff to your athletic department because they that was basically the only address they could get unless you were listed in in the phone book. So. I go to the locker room one day and after practice, there's sitting on my little bench there in, in the football locker room in, in high school is this trifold brochure, the University of Pennsylvania. And, and I'm looking at it and I'm like, wow, that's awesome. It's Franklin Field, you know, and, and, and the red and blue and a nice crowd and the toast is flying, you know, out of the, out of the second level in the picture. And I'm like, I bring it home and I said, dad, look what I got. I got a letter. It was, it was, it was literally my first, it was the first letter that I had received from a college and, and, and I bring it home and he says, well, you're going there. I was like, well, dad, I, what do you mean I'm going there? I said, I, he, I said, it's, it's, um, I just got my first letter. Like, this is it. Like, it just says that, you know, we're, we're interested. And, uh, he says, no, well, if you can, if you get in and they want you, you're going there. And, and then of course, cause now of course I'm thinking on the walk home, oh, well, maybe Penn State will call or maybe Michigan, Michigan will call, you know, big blue or somebody, you know, somebody else. And my dad's like, son, if you get in there, you're going there. It's Penn, you know, and he starts naming off the players. And like I said, he, he wasn't a huge fan, but he was definitely a fan. He knew the players. He knew Skip Manissi. He knew Reds Bagnell. He knew Chuck Bednarik, George Savitsky, four-time All-American. Like, he starts rattling these names off to me. I'm like, Dad, how do you know these? He's like, these are the players that I watched, you know, in, in the 40s and 50s. This was where I went to watch football. And he said, and, it's, and by the way, you're going to get a great education there, and you're going to get to compete in the Ivy League. He said – if you get in, you're going. And I was like, and of course, you know, brash, you know, 17 year old, I'm like, well, I'm, I might get in Ohio state. You know, little did I know that that was pretty much the best offer that I got. I did, I did look at Bucknell 
Um, I did get recruited a little bit by William and Mary. Um, Brown had sent me a letter, came for a visit. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it was really Penn and Bucknell that it, the idea of, of that was where I was going to go and compete in college and actually continue my, my education. And obviously, being a local Philly kid, how could I not choose Penn? And, uh, and that's where the path started, you know, and that's, it was, I always used to say to coach Zubrow and coach Steele, whenever I see them, I said, man, thank you for taking a real risk and a shot on a skinny kid who, you know, was born in South Philly and grew up in Delaware County. You know, I mean, thank you for, for giving me that opportunity to come here and get a great education and and to play some really top-notch football. So how's the transition to college as a, an athlete and as a student, because, both are deep pools specifically at the Ivy league. Yeah, it was, I mean, obviously it was, uh, you know, it was a tough transition, right? I mean, um, I was very lucky to have had fantastic teachers and educators that helped guide me along at Ridley and helped prepare me for, for what was to come. Um, so I felt very comfortable there, you know, doing my best to compete. Um, I think playing a sport for me personally gave me the discipline and, the time management to be able to excel because I felt like if I, I always did better in the fall semester when we were playing and in season than I did in the spring semester, because you had to, you had to budget your time. You had to know when you were going to be a practice and when your lifts were and when your runs were and when your classes were. So, you know, I felt like the discipline of playing a sport actually helped someone like me. Um, and it kept me focused and, and the program definitely made it, a way to really structure yourself. And I really appreciated that looking back on that, you know, athletically, I felt like I grew into my body at that point. You know, I came in, I was one of the taller players on the freshman team and that's a whole nother aside, Matt, that's something that, you know, has been kind of eliminated in the Ivy league. And I don't even know if there's any teams that even do it anymore. And there, there may be some colleges out there that still have some separate freshman programs, but Penn at the time in the Ivy League had a separate freshman program. So you didn't actually, you weren't allowed to compete on the varsity as a freshman. So you had to play your own six to eight game schedule. Um, You came in with the students. You did not go into a training camp situation. So I got to just be a normal person for for one summer. Um, And it was fantastic, right? So I got to compete against other freshmen. I didn't have to hold a blocking dummy for anybody and get run over by some giant senior, you know, that had, that's, you know, 22 year old body that had matured, you know, way faster than my 18 year old, you know, just out of high school person. You know, I thought that was a huge, that was a huge leg up for me and it allowed me to develop. So by the time my freshman year ended, I was six, five, I was probably 235, 240 pounds, pretty solid at that point. Cause I'd been on a, a lifting regimen. I'd never touched a weight in my life, Matt. I had never been in a weight room until I went to college. And, um, my body and I'd never eaten, you know, I grew up with four brothers. It's tough to compete at the dinner table with four Italian, you know, four Italian boys, you know, and a dad who likes to eat too. So there was not a whole lot left, you know, at the meals for us. So I didn't have, I did I wasn't able to pack on the calories in high school. Plus I was so busy baseball, basketball, you know, I did winter track, you know, and I was able to lift weights, develop my body. And, you know, by the time I came back from my sophomore year, I was probably 265 pounds. And I felt then at that point I could compete because when I first got there, my freshman year, and I watched the fresh as a freshman, I watched the senior scrimmage. I saw some of these linemen and I turned to my brother and I said, I better transfer. I can't play here. Look at the size of these guys. And he said, don't worry, you're going to do it. You're going to grow. You're going to get in the weight room. You're going to eat. You're going to do all the right things. And, you know, I was very lucky to have a great strength coach. Charlie Pacman was just adamant about 
getting us to the point where we were focused on our lifting and our diet. And, um, you know, by the time I graduated, I was 305 pounds and, you know, I was able to go to the combine and, and compete with, you know, the guys from Penn state and Notre Dame and Michigan. And it was a real treat at that point to, to be in, in that kind of company. Um, that was really, really exciting for me. Tackle the whole way through, or did you move along the line? Tackle the whole way through at Penn, right tackle. I stayed at right tackle from freshman year um, all the way through and, you know, had, oh my God, did I play with some great players who taught me so much. I mean, not just players who went on to play in the NFL, like Brent Novoselsky, right, who was tight end, played for the Bears, Packers, Vikings, had a great career. Um, you know, he was one of my mentors, uh, you know, Tom Gizzy, John Zinzer, Colin Abernathy, Army, Army Machete, Kevin Morrison, all these linemen that were just fantastic players. John Lelis, um, you know, was was uh, was one of my my idols. He was my host when I went to Penn. They just helped you. They just helped bring you along. And I just felt so comfortable with them that they wanted me to be successful. And we just kept that tradition going of having of, of being taking young players under your wing and having them be successful. It was a really cool environment to be in. That was at uh, Ed Zubrow and Gary Steele really perpetuated an environment of, of team and team spirit and coach DeFiri, of course, how can you not mention coach Lake, you know, when you talk about Penn football and just, there was this camaraderie where everybody wanted everybody else to be successful and nobody was there to knock anybody down. And I think that really helped me, Matt, that helped a, a kid like me. who was a little on the thin side, skinny, you know, still developing. Um, no one tried to make a fool of you. They, they, they brought you along and then bam, next thing you know, it's your turn and you're ready for it because of all the people that helped you get there. And it was a really cool experience and, you know, definitely an environment. I hope that everybody gets to, to be in, in their life where they're in an environment where people are there to build each other up and not tear each other down. So if I say to you and you talk about the camaraderie and it's, would appear to me obviously those are the first memories that come back when you think about your time at Penn but when you think of games moments when I ask you to think back to your college days what are some of the first ones that rise to the surface well first I think about my freshman year um, and making that transition and going down to the University of Delaware and playing their JV as freshmen and saying oh man I can compete like this, you know, that was an eye opener for me, right? Because you think, oh, well, they're a scholarship school and we're not a scholarship school. And, and you know, the, 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 the back then, obviously, we called them 1AA. We were all 1AA, but they were like at the premiere. And, you know, when you go in there and you compete, it's like, oh, man, I can do this. You know, we scrimmage them. And, and I thought, all right. And I, remember, I remember Rich Gannon and I talked about that because I think Rich was a senior that year. And so, you know, you start to think, all right, I can do this, right? And then you get, and then you start competing. If there was a couple of games that I can remember at Penn, I would have to say Dartmouth game, my senior year, first game of our senior year, we go up to Dartmouth, they're favored to win the Ivy League, and we get to play on national TV. So we, we were on ESPN for that game, and it was fantastic, right, to be on a nationally televised game up in Dartmouth, and we won, and we beat them there. And I thought wow, this, is, this could be the season. This could be the year that we get back to that dominance. Because in 1988, we, I was a sophomore. I lettered, played a little bit, but I didn't, you know, I wasn't a starter. So that Ivy League championship meant a lot to me, but it definitely wasn't, you know, it wasn't mine, right? And this junior year, we had our struggles. And then sophomore, senior year, we have this opening win. And I just, I'll never forget that game coming in the locker room with all the guys that I had gone into school with as freshmen. And now we're seniors and to beat you know, the ultimate Ivy League champion Dartmouth, they were favored at that point early on, on national television. I just, I'll never forget that. It was a beautiful day in Hanover. It was sunny. 
it was funny because the, one of the players on their front line had been sending me postcards, sort of bulletin board fodder over the summer, which probably wasn't the best idea on his part because I it just got me more fired up than I think he thought it. If he probably thought it was going to get into my head, it wasn't the right thing to do. It just was one of those games. I just remember. And of course, you, you can never forget your last game. I, mem- I remember going up to Cornell and giving Coach Lake that big hug at the end of the game and thinking, man, I've got to, I got to hang the red and blue helmet up. You know, that was uh, so you had the joy at the beginning of your senior year. And then that bittersweet sadness of, of ending, ending a career and knowing that you were going to be moving on. And that was probably some, you know, the two, two things that I'll, I'll never really forget from a game perspective, right. And being on the field. And unfortunately, neither of them were at Franklin field, which hurts because I remember having some great games there against Harvard. We beat Harvard my senior year um, at Franklin field. So also just the whole, the whole idea of playing at Franklin Field and thinking about the ghosts of the players that had, you know, played on that field, you know, whether it was the Eagles when they played there, whether it was those Penn heroes that I talked about, George Savitsky, Reds Bagnell, Chuck Bednarik, you know, it just gives me, still gives me chills. Time to take a break on one-on-one. We will have more with former Penn football star Joe Valerio right after this. Hey everybody, it's Cherry Gregg here. You may know me around town as KYW News Radio's community affairs reporter, but every week I produce and host Flashpoint, a podcast where we highlight the hot topics in Philadelphia, local newsmakers and changemakers burning things up in our region. From gerrymandering to gender equality and policing in schools, we'll walk you through the flames on Flashpoint. It's available wherever you downloaded this podcast that you're listening to now. So subscribe. Thanks so much. We are back on one-on-one. Our guest this week, former Penn football star, spent time in the NFL with the Kansas City Chiefs, Joe Valerio. So Ivy League to the NFL, it happens, but it is not as – you don't see it as much as you do in the SEC and other conferences. When do you start to think, could I get the chance to, to play in the – because you mentioned the combine. You played East-West, right? I mean, these are mm-hmm. these are things that are relatively rare – for Ivy Leaguers, when did you start to feel like you were getting attention that was unusual from pro scouts? It kind of started happening right towards the end of my junior year. I remember Coach Steele called me up and um, asked me to come down to Waitman Hall. And he said, Joe, I need you to, to stop on down. There is a scout from this organization called Blesto, right? And um, they were like a scouting organization. I think the NFL, some of the NFL teams outsource them. Now, of course, every team has the bevy of scouts, right? But back then, I think they did a little bit more outsourcing of that, that sort of function and service. So I remember he came down and he kind of just wanted my particulars. How was I doing health-wise? The little height and weight. And I was like, wow, like, and he had an NFL like shirt on. I was like, wow. And he said, well, we're just, we're getting up all the information. We're putting, we're putting it into our quote database, right? You know, he said, well, we came here to get some film just to let you know, and we're going to watch some, and we're going to put a, a grade together based on this conversation and based on your film. And we're going to put it out there into the NFL database. And I got to be honest, man, I have no idea where that came from. I don't know how they scoured back then, right? Because there was no internet. Now the high schools and colleges, they use all these digital formats. Huddle is one of the football programs that they use to, you know, scout people and and put film out on the internet and things like that. There was no YouTube. So I got to be honest, I have no idea how Blesto found me. I guess they just must do their homework and read papers and 
call people and, and listen. That's where it all started at the end of my junior year. And then I'll never forget um, the first scout that I ever met. And we're still friends to this day. His name is Terry Bradway. He ultimately became the general manager of the Jets. That's where some some fans might remember him from. He was a head scout with the Giants and he came and he was the first team scout that I'd ever met. And I met him in the fall after we had gotten back from training camp in Lawrenceville, New Jersey. And we were about to start the season. And it was right after media day. And then he, en- he ended up in a small world. He ended up coming to the Chiefs and I ended up watching like his kids grow up because he was with the Chiefs forever. He, he was the first NFL scout. I was like, the Giants, holy cow. Like we, He's like, yeah, we're, we came down to get some film. Now remember back then they had to actually get film. Like they had to come to the field, get a canister of, I guess it was 16 millimeter film, I guess. You know, they had to you know splice it and put it on the reel and do all that stuff that pe- you know, people today don't even know what the heck film is. Like they had to get these reels and borrow it and then bring it back or mail it back. So it's crazy that like that's how it all started. And he came down, he said, yeah, the Giants have, you know, we've been, we've been looking at our, uh, our scouting reports and we think, you know, we'd like to, you know, we'll keep an eye on you, Joe. And, and I'll never forget that meeting. Cause you know, to see like a logo for the first time was amazing. And then little things trickled in here and there. Um, I would get calls every once in a while. And then agents started to call. I thought, Matt, really, maybe, maybe I'll be, you know, a like, just like a free agent, right? Maybe, maybe I'll get a free agent tryout. Like that's all I was hoping for just to get a shot, like to be at that coming from, from Penn. But I have to tell you a really funny story right before my senior year, I've been dating my wife. we had been dating all through high school and college. And um, at this point, um, you know, I was getting ready for my senior year and my wife, Jennifer said, are you go- going to do an in- internship this summer? And I said, well, yeah, I, I, I guess. Cause I was working like youth sports camps at that point, I would do like rec stuff. And, you know, back then, you know, I was making like three bucks an hour. Right. So Jen says, well, you know, you should probably look into like, like an internship, like a real one, because like your friends are working on wall street and they're getting internships at financial investment firms they're getting internships at manufacturing companies and engineering companies I'm like, Oh really? And you know, I'm like, I was so focused on football and school. I just kind of forgot about it. So I go in to see Coach Steele and I said, Coach, my, my girlfriend was saying I should get an internship. He goes, what do you want to do? I said, well, I don't know. I said, I'm an economics major. He said, well, let's get you something in, in the financial services. I'm going to call Otto McGowan. So I get this internship through a Penn alum named Otto McGowan and it was a company called Kidder Peabody and they were an investment firm. So my dad, we only had one car. I only owned one dress shirt, one tie, one pair of slacks and one pair of shoes. So I pretty much wore the same thing every day. And at that time I was probably six, five, 300. And I was pretty heavy in that summer. I was probably 315 pounds, Matt. And, and everybody used to joke, like you must've looked like, you know, Mr. Incredible squeezing into a cubicle, you know, from, from the cartoon. And I had this tight short sleeve shirt on with a tie that was, you know, went tied it halfway up my chest because it was so small. It wasn't like extra long. And I must have looked really funny. But my dad said to me, he always used to give me the best advice. And he, he said, Joey, he said, when you go to that internship, now my dad never worked in an office. He'd never even been in an office. He was a warehouseman and he drove a truck. And he's like, you go in there and you do the work and you do it humbly. You hear me? I'm like, and my dad God rest his soul. He passed away at 76. I, w- I was 315 pounds. My dad was a buck 65. I wouldn't have messed with my dad even when I was that big. And at the height of my NFL career, I would never have messed with my pop. And so I listened to my dad when he talked and he said, you go to the office, you do the work, you do it humbly. You hear me? Because what he was sensing was if there was ever a time in my life, I could have been a total jerk. That was the time, right? I, I had, you know, completely outkicked my coverage in the girlfriend department. Um, I was captain of an Ivy league football team. 
I was a preseason All-American. I was potential, right? Potential. I'm using that word potential NFL player. And my dad just sensed that like, you know, you need to stay grounded. Don't let this get to you. And so when I went to that office, I kept playing that over and over in my head, do the work, do it humbly, son. And I mean, when they asked me to clean coffee pots, I cleaned coffee pots. If they needed filing cabinets moved, I filed, I moved filing cabinets. You know, I would get on the train and I would take checks out to clients and I'd walk to their house and hand deliver checks to them. And I'll never forget, I'm going to fast forward. I'm at the combine, right? In 1991, February, and Carl Peterson and the chiefs interview me. You know, you go through an interview process, just like any job. And so Marty Schottenheimer, Carl Peterson and Howard Mudd, line coach, Marty head coach and Carl president and GM are sitting there. And so they're asking me, how's your ankle that you twisted in eighth grade feel? And it's like, man, I'm like, these guys do their homework. Holy cow, right? They're going back to my eighth grade x-rays. And so we go through the interview process. And then Carl says to me, last question, Joe, he goes, tell me about your internship at Kidder Peabody last summer. So being, having a little bit of a comedic edge, I tried to you know, slough off the question while I was thinking about it. And I said, well, Mr. Peterson, with all due respect, what does doing an internship at a financial investment firm have to do with running into other 300 pound guys really fast? And, and we all laughed. And he thought that was really cool that I asked it that way. And he said, it has everything to do with why I'm asking you the question. He said, do you remember a gentleman there by the name of Tim Sennett? And I was like, oh yeah, Mr. Sennett was the big maha from, you know, my dad's term. And he said, uh, yeah, he's the big Mahoff, all right. And he said, you know, he's like my best friend and godparents to each other's kids. And we were college roommates. And I was like, no, it never, it never came up. He said, well, let me tell you something, Joe. He said, the way that you handled yourself during that internship and the discipline to get there at seven in the morning on the train to leave at 4.30 and go to your workout and to eat lunch of 3,000 calories and to be nice to everybody and treat everyone with respect he said, that's the reason why we're going to draft you next month in, in the NFL draft. I'm telling you, my heart sank, Matt. And I'm thinking, oh my God. He said, well, now you got to answer the question. You haven't answered the question yet, Joe. He said, what did you learn from your internship at Kidder Peabody? And I looked him right in the eye and I said, well, Mr. Peterson, I guess you never know who's watching. And he said, that's exactly right. He said, we want people in Lamar Hunt, wants people in the Chiefs locker room who are going to do the right thing, even when no one's watching. He goes, all right, we'll see it. We'll see you in March. I was like amazed. And I went back and I told my dad, you know, it's just like, it is amazing how things come together that you don't, you know, realize. And then obviously the Chiefs, you know, go, go second round on this skinny kid that Penn took a chance on from Philly, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll never forget that conversation with Carl Peterson and, and rewind the conversation that I had with my dad when I walked into that, into that train station to train platform for that interview. So uh, or for the internship. And, um, you know, it stuck with me for my whole life. So second round pick, I think you were 51st overall. Give me a quick football scale. Why? Why were you so good as an offensive um, lineman? What set you apart? I think it was my body type. And I think it was probably some of the athletic ability that I was able, able to develop. And I'm going to go all the way back to our initial part of this conversation, Matt. Street hockey, baseball, boxing, basketball, I think it was it was an athletic ability thing that I had and the ability to to react and adjust on the move with the size that I had gained, you know, over the course of that of that time. And I think a lot of it also had to do with technique. Remember, and I when I, co- I coached high school football for 10 years in Garnet Valley, and one of the, the players that I always appreciated coaching were the ones that weren't always the biggest because I coached a lot of really big players. I coached a couple, one player ended up captain of Villanova's team as a center. One player is now in the NFL, Brandon Hittner. Uh, Matt Donahue was captain of Villanova's football team. They were big kids. 
And the difference between them and some other players that I coached is that big players that were big kids, that they always grew up being the biggest kid. And they could just dominate, dominate, dominate. And then what happens is you get to what you get to a level where it all levels out, right? The playing field all levels out and everybody's the same size and everybody has similar athletic ability. And I think what what separates the great ones from the good ones from the bad ones is technique. And if you're always the big kid and you can just go out and push people around or you're the big kid at the plate who can smack it over the fence or you know you're the big wrestler who just dominates and then all of a sudden everybody catches up to you and you don't you never learn that technique you 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 get a step behind actually and i think that's a very long-winded answer to a really short question but i think it was the athletic ability coupled with the fact that i wasn't always the dominant kid and i had to learn how to get by with technique a little bit of scrappiness, a little bit of stick-to-itiveness and, and being able to adjust. And I think that's kind of why I think the Chiefs took a shot on me from a physical perspective. So then you become a Kansas City Chief. We talked about the adjustment from high school to college, going from the college game to getting a regular paycheck to play professional football. What was that transition like? Because you did not play your, your rookie year, am I correct? I don't well, I played, but I, you know, I didn't really see much time. I played a little bit of special teams, you know, kickoff return, did a little bit of a uh, little bit of long snapping. I earned that job later in 1992. I earned the job as long snapper. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was a transition year for me. And then ultimately it, it led to the Chiefs sending me with as part of the NFL allocation program to the World League, right? So back then in the nineties, the World League was pretty vibrant and they would send anywhere from eight to ten players per squad to the uh, World League since they owned it. They obviously kept your rights, but then you know they brought you back. That was a huge year for me because I was able to go to the World League and actually play against some really good competition and come back in 1992 and actually start some games because I felt more prepared. The transition, Matt, for somebody come from the Ivy League, and this is no knock against the Ivy League, it's pure reality, right? You just don't play against players who have the physical skills combined with the speed, combined with the agility that you do when you're playing in SEC or the Big Ten. And it's just that's just a harsh reality. It's not to say that the Ivy League players can't ultimately do it. And they do. I mean, God, a couple of years ago, for the first time, the NFL had a different player from each Ivy League school was represented at NFL training camp, which was awesome. And you're seeing more and more of that because I think what players are doing now is they're rather than going to an Alabama and being an All-American who goes to Alabama, now you're a fourth stringer. A lot of players are saying, you know what? Yeah, I would love to go to Alabama, but Maybe I'll go to a smaller school, be a big fish in a small pond and, and, and get playing time. And, and if it's going to make it, if I'm going to make it in the NFL, it'll work out. So I, I think you're seeing more FCS players in the NFL because they're not, they're not relegating themselves to just going to Alabama because it's the biggest, best school. They're going and finding places where they can play. The, the thing that I lacked in you know, my rookie year was, you know, I played against some really big players in the Ivy League. You know, they're big size guys. But, you know, if they were if they were really athletic and big, they probably would have been at Michigan or, you know, maybe even an FCS, a scholarship FCS school. And then I played against some players who were really fast, but they were undersized because if they were fast and big, they'd be at an SEC school. And a big school. So, you know, you, you hear the lot. You see the logic. Right. And so, like, when I got when I faced up against Derek Thomas for the first time and Neil Smith for the first time at training camp. And I'm looking at these guys and I'm going, what's my strategy? They weigh 265 pounds. They run four 440s and they're so agile, they can dunk basketballs. I'm like, what's my strategy? Because in the Ivy League, I had a strategy for every guy. If he was really big, cut his legs. If he's really fast, lock him up, use your size, get on him. 
you know, if you had a player who was really strong, you know, you just use your quickness to get around them and, you know, shield block them or whatever. Like I had a strategy for every player, but I never had a strategy for a guy who was Derek Thomas, who could bench 450 pounds, run a 4-4, four, four, weigh 265. So my, my strategy was I'm going to use my pen education. So he was my first player that I ever went against one-on-one because John Alt was the starting left tackle. He held out camp. Derek Graham, who was the backup left tackle, was injured in mini camp. So he was he missed training camp. So I go into training camp as the quote starting left tackle, a kid from Penn, right? Which was not going to happen, but you know, you have to fill somebody has to fill the spot. So I I go in there and then there's Derek. And I'm like, all right, well, I'm going back to physics class now, like sophomore year of college. I'm going back to physics. Like, all right, force equals mass times acceleration, right? All right, I got him on I got him on the mass part, right? So I'm bigger than he is. So mm, he's they clocked me on a calendar when I ran the 40. They clocked Derek with a stopwatch. Let's put it that way. So I tried to get onto Derek really fast and use my size. And when I did that, my heels came together because I didn't really have the technique yet to, to play against someone like him. And when he saw my feet come together, Matt, your eight-year-old son could knock me over at 315 pounds when my feet are together, right? It's, it's not, it's physics. And he just crumpled me. Like I was literally like a middle school football player. And I just remember thinking, oh man, I've got a lot of learning to do. And, you know, and Coach Mudd, offensive line coach, came over and says, well, you got two choices. There's really only two choices here. You can get up and do it again, learn from it, or you can quit. And he said, it's your choice. You don't have to stay here. It was like, all right, like I get it now. Now I've got to learn. And, and Derek spent the whole camp with me. We went against each other the whole training camp. He taught me more about football than any player or coach I ever had. I mean, I had some great coaches. I shouldn't say that. I mean, it was but just on, like from an on the field perspective, he really taught me how, how, to, be, uh, how to be a football player because he, he taught me that I had to learn every single day. And I just, I thank him for that every day. I mean, he's the reason why I ended up, you know, being lucky enough to hang around for six years because he just, he just got me ready that, that rookie year to, to, to being able to make that transition. Otherwise, I don't think I would have lasted that long. One of the many fascinating things about your football career is you really kind of developed a niche as an offensive lineman who caught touchdowns. I think you had four career catches. Yeah. All four were touchdowns as a, I would assume, kind of a, a third tight end or tackle eligible or stuff like mm-hmm. that. Talk about kind of the genesis of that. How did the the concept of you being that guy come about? Was it something that was just in a training camp practice? Hey, let's run this it, play. Valerio, you get out there and it works. Yeah. And all right, let's keep that in our back pocket. Was there a, do you remember how that started? Oh my gosh. It's very, it's very hard to forget how I started, Matt, because, you know, it was obviously an anomaly, right? I mean, I always used to joke, you know, Chris Carter always used to say he was the one that only scores touchdowns. I said, I begged it there for Chris, you know, uh, look, I only had like 193 to go to catch Jerry Rice. So if I just could have played for another 42, 43 years, I might've, I might've caught Jerry Rice. Um, but you know, it was really fun to, to be able to do that. Obviously. So my rookie year is like a wash, right? Like I'm just, I'm trying to figure this thing out. And then 92, I come back and I start some games and I was lucky enough in 92 to start at, at every position on the line. I started at center. I started at guard tackle and I started a game tight end, believe it or not. Um, because I had always been that heavy tight end back in, in the early nineties, you have to remember, 
Um, we were a smash mouth football team, right? It was Christian Okoye and Barry Word, 265 and 245 pound tailbacks. Okay. They were bigger than defensive linemen that I played against in the Ivy League, right? And there are tailbacks. Like when I saw Christian Okoye for the first time, I said, give me the ball and let me run behind him. Like, what, what's going on here? There's something wrong with this equation. So, so like we always needed like an extra big tight end to come in because that's what we did, right? So I was always that player that came in as the tank tight end, we called it, you know, come in and do that. So in 1993, we go, we flip the narrative and we become a West Coast offense. We signed Joe Montana and Marcus Allen in the offseason, which raised our level of our game exponentially, right? To bring those two gentlemen in, two of the best professionals I was ever around. And then, so we start opening things up. But Paul Hackett, who was offensive coordinator, still likes having a, a lineman come in as an extra tight end um, because he liked, for the most part, he liked having speedy tight ends. Right? You think about West Coast offense because Paul was the offensive coordinator in San Francisco and quarterbacks coach there for a long time. And, and so he, you know, he, you, you can't keep big tight ends on the roster, right? Because we did have one, Jonathan Hayes, who played at Iowa, but he, he was a holdover from the old you know, smash mouth Marty Ball teams. And so we have these, um, these smaller H-back tight ends. So they always wanted to have a lineman in the West Coast offense be able to go in. It was in, in San Francisco, a name people might remember is Guy McIntyre was somebody that used to do that position a lot. So in 93, Paul Hackett says, hey, Joe, listen, you're going to be our tank tight end. And um, you may even play a little tight end in, in, out in the field. And I said, oh, coach, that's great. I'll do whatever it takes to get on the field. Going back to my dad again, right? Do the work, do it humbly, son. And and so he says, okay. So we had this one play in where I would go into the end zone, five yards into the end zone, and I would act basically as a screen, okay? And they would do crossing routes behind. I would try to either pick off a linebacker that was in man-to-man coverage, or you know, I would try to just be a decoy. No one ever even, quarterbacks never even looked at me. Players didn't even cover me because who's throwing it to that guy, right? So one day in practice, Joe Montana calls the the play, right? And, uh, you know, he drops back and I did my obligatory, put my hands up. Oh, yeah, like he's going to throw it to me, right? Because you don't want to make it look like a, a real true screen, right? Because you don't, you don't literally pick anybody. And he's just staring at me. He's eyeballing me the whole time. And I'm like, whoa, 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 stop, right? Like, J.J. Bird and wide receiver, wide open in the corner. You know, Keith Cash, who'd crossed behind me, is wide open. You know, I'm like, Why? throw it over there. And he's just, he's like patting the ball, and he's looking at me. And the next thing you know, he just fires it at me, right? Because Joe, he was the prankster of all pranksters. Everybody sees him as this, like, serious guy, four-time Super Bowl winner. You know, to me still, in my heart, greatest quarterback ever. Sorry, all you Tom Brady fans. Um, but he's, he's eyeballing me and he just fires it at me. And I knew exactly what he was thinking. Let's embarrass the big guy, you know, let's hit him in the face mask or let it, maybe it'll hit him in the stomach and, you know, everybody will get a laugh out of it. And I snag the ball out of the air and he like, you could see the surprise in his eyes. He's like, what, what, what? Like, you know, there goes my joke, right? There goes his little prank. And then Paul Hackett comes running over. He's like, oh my God, you can catch. I'm like, I don't know. Is that what this thing is? And I like threw it like a hot potato, right? I, I, I hadn't touched a football since my seventh grade story, right? You know, being a quarterback behind when Matt Blunden couldn't play football. And of course, Matt's behind over there. He's backing up Joe Montana and he's looking at me like, I, I always knew Joe could catch the ball. You know, we throw the ball in the schoolyard. And Paul Hackett turns to me and says, Joe, you're going to catch a touchdown pass this year. And I was like, coach, I said, this West Coast offense 
really opens things up. If you got guys like me going out, he said, Nope, mark my words. We're going to, you're going to, you're going to score this year. And needless to say against the Raiders, we put the play in and it was a fake 16 George U slam. And I was the U and I had to slam and go out into the corner and make it look like a run play. Marcus Allen dives over the top. It was always helped having Marcus Allen too, Matt, because Marcus Allen's at that time, and maybe even still today, one of the greatest goal line running backs ever. He just had a way of either going over the pile or sneaking his way through. He was a fantastic uh, goal line uh, running back. So people really focused on him. And there I was, wide open against the Raiders. And uh, you know, then it just kind of fell from there. And then it was against the 49ers in 94. And then Monday Night Football uh, against the Broncos uh, on Monday night in the Montana Elway shootout. I was like, I always loved picking these big games, right? Because it was like the Raiders which was like, you know, our vaunted rival, right? That was our big rival. And then the, the, it was the 49ers game on September 11th in, in 1994 when it was Steve Young, Joe Montana shootout, right? Like Joe Montana and Steve Young it was hyped game. Some, at that point, I think they said might have been the highest watch regular season game. And then that Monday night shootout with Elway and Montana where it was the first time Coach Schottenheimer had ever won at, Elway, or at, at Mile High. And, um, you know, and we, and we beat the, we beat the Broncos on Monday night football. And, you know, it's just like, it was crazy. Like that, you know, that it was Joe Montana too, right. That, you know, my dad's favorite, you know, player we always watched growing up, right. Good Italian kid from Pennsylvania, you know uh, you know, it was just, uh, it, it was such a, such a treat, like to, to be a part of that history of the chiefs and uh, you know, it, and, and going back to my dad's original conversation, like, when am I going to get my name announced? You know, that was the first thing I said to him after I scored that touchdown against the, the Raiders. I said, Dad, I got my name announced for not getting a holding penalty. Can you believe it? He goes, Well, he goes, You're going to end up on the Hall. He goes, You're going to end up in the Hall of Fame, son. He goes, It's just going to be on Joe Montana's plaque as one of his receivers, but you're going to end up in the Hall of Fame, son. <laughs> so it was a really fun, really fun conversation to go full circle on that with my pop. So you spend, I think it was five years in Kansas City. You wrap up with uh, one year with the the St. Louis Rams. When it comes to a close, were you comfortable or did you think you still had football in you? What kind of, cause that can be a difficult transition as well. Once the playing days are done. Yeah. Usually, usually difficult, Matt. And I think one of the things that players struggle with when they come out is, is, you know, we always used to joke, you know, my dad, again, he gave me great advice. You know, when I was going into to working in the insurance industry, he said, look, son, he's like 70,000 people aren't going to scream when you make an insurance sale. Number one. And he said, number two, you're nobody now. And it was like, wow, dad, that was a kick in the gut, you know, but I'm telling you, it was the best piece of advice I ever got. And not because we're not, no one is a nobody, whether you play in the NFL or no matter what your, your, your calling is, no one's a nobody. And the the reason he said it, and he said it in his most loving way was because he wanted me to bring value to whatever I did in the next phase of my life. And that's what he told me. He said, son, I told you that because I didn't want you to hang your hat on the fact that playing football, playing football was going to be the be all and end all for you. Um, Playing football was a great tool and it gave you some great life lessons and some skills that you picked up through teamwork and chemistry building and all of those great things that you learn from team sports. He said, but you've got to, you've got to bring value in everything you do for the rest of your life. So, that conversation made it easier. You know, I hurt my back in my last season with the Chiefs, and I never really fully recovered from that, Matt. And so that made it a little bit easier that I physically felt like I couldn't do it anymore. 
And then it was coupled with the fact that my wife, Jennifer, was when I got released by the Chiefs and then went to the Rams, my wife, Jennifer, was pregnant with triplets. And that was a really, really tough time for us because the pregnancy did not go as well as we had planned. And it was a big struggle. And when I think back to heroes in my life, I think back to what my wife, Jennifer, did. Um, and and I, I met some really tough football players. Um, but no one was as tough as she was going into the hospital, um, you know, at 19 weeks pregnant and going into a hospital bed and being in Trendelenburg position, which is seven, uh, 30 degrees upside down. And she did that for seven weeks, never complained a moment, went through so many physical ailments to keep those babies as healthy as she could. And I think about some tough guys who blew out knees, popped shoulders, did those things, took big hits. And I think about that and that football became a distant memory at that point because we were so focused on bringing these three girls into the world. And then my daughters were born at 26 weeks, which is, you know, that's micro preemie size. They were, they were all about a pound and a half uh, when they were born. Not great odds. Um, the doctors gave us for bringing all three of them home. And uh, through a lot of fight and a lot of uh, great healthcare and great technology that was out there um, at Lankanaw Hospital and then the Philadelphia area with the doctors and nurses that we had, they survived and, you know, went on to college graduates and out there doing their thing it became like a distant memory at that point, Matt, to be honest. Like when I think about the reasons why I needed to be home at that point and why football was ending, I did try out for a few more teams. It just didn't, it just didn't stick. And, and I don't know whether it was, it was just time to be over and it was time to go on to a new phase and journey uh, of my life and to be a dad and to get to coach high school football and do all those things, you know, I think everything happens for a reason. And I think that was one, one of the things that I always kind of hung my hat on. And so, you know, for anybody, I always say that goes through those big transitions where you think you're losing your dream job or, you know, you think you're losing something that means so much doors close, but windows open and you just got to look for them. You know, you got to look for that silver lining and, and try to find out what is going to be the next part of your life um, and take all the lessons that you had from that past one and, and try to apply them. But remember that, you, you know, you, you got to bring new value, right. To, to what you're doing. So it was a, um, as a, thank you for asking that question. It, it was a tough time. It's still tough to deal, to reconcile that I felt like I had so much more left in me, but you know, we used to have a saying in the locker room, it ends for everybody just some sooner than others. And you have to be prepared to, to move on. And it's afforded me, uh, you know, the opportunity to use those skills in coaching, um, you know, use those skills in team building at my work and in my career. So, you know, I have, I have no, no regrets uh, about it ending and, you know, no regrets of what, what it led to, you know, of course, uh, when it did come to an end, eventually allowed me to be home with my wife in that first year of my kids coming home and dealing with all the things that we had to deal with, with dealing with preemie triplets. So it was, uh, you know, it was a real blessing in disguise. So Kira, I'm always fascinated with the dynamic. The kids are born after you're an NFL player. How do they react when they see highlights of you? Were they able to get the context that, wow, dad did that because they have no memory of it? It is, it is really funny. I think one of their fondest memories of me playing was the fact that they, it was announced that we were having triplets on a Thursday night edition of Monday Night Football. Um, we were playing the Bears in a preseason game uh, in Chicago, and uh, they announced that we were having triplets, um, that we were pregnant with triplets. Um, so 
they, I think that's their favorite part because they were involved in it. And to them, you know, I, you know, I've just been dad, you know, um, I, I very rarely, other than, you know, I got some great memorabilia, right? I got some Joe Montana football. Like I got some great stuff and, and, you know, a lot of people know that I played football in, in certain circles, but, you know, I don't really talk about it that much, Matt. I, you know, I've always tried to put it behind, um, you know, I think my daughters saw more of the coolness in things that people that football allowed me to meet. Like, for example, I did this Instagram post with Eric Stone Street, right? Cam from Modern Family during the Chiefs season. My daughters thought that was so much cooler that I got to like talk to him on the phone and, and, and FaceTime with him um, and send text messages with Eric Stone Street and do this Instagram post. Um, then, like catching a fo- catching a touchdown on Monday football, like uh, oh yeah, okay, whatever. Like it's so funny, like the things that 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 they found to be neat about about me playing in the NFL. Um, I think they actually, I think they think some of the things that were cooler was the fact that I got to do some broadcasting, right? That I hosted a radio show and I did some, I did some sports anchoring for the ABC affiliate in Kansas city for KNBC. And I did that for two years as a guest anchor. So I think they like, they always thought it was the ancillary stuff that was cool. Like the fact that I met Frazier, you know, Kelsey Grammer, like, uh, you know, when, after he sang the national anthem and I joked around with him, like they, they like those stories way more than the football ones, um, which is funny. And I think that's what like our conversations always tend to go to is, um, you know, like those stories rather than the actual playing of, you know, although when they do, you know, they do see Howie Long, they always say, tell us that story about Howie Long. And whenever they see Howie Long on, on you know, on Sunday, Sunday mornings when he's doing the sports shows, um, he we were playing the Raiders and and uh, it was 1992 and I, w- I started that game. And we were in passing situations the whole game because we were, we were getting beat pretty bad. And I was like, I mean, I was just all over him. He was so hard to block. I mean, he was so hard to block. And so finally, and he never like, he never complained or never complained to officials. So he, at one point he says to uh, the official, he's like, uh, like, Mr. Official, he goes, 73 held me on that play and got away with it. So I walked up between him and the official and I said, well, excuse me, guys, with all due respect, uh, Mr. Long, Mr. Official, I'm holding Howie on every play and getting away with it. And, and like Howie laughed and like they, they think those kinds of things are way cooler than the actual like playing. Um, but, you know, it was it was it's it's neat. To, it is neat to talk about. And, and it's neat. And and I think the the most fun that they have is when somebody finds out about it and nobody mentions it. You know, like if somebody will come up to them and at their workplace or somebody that they went to school with and maybe someone, a friend of a friend will say, you know, oh, did you know your dad, you know, her dad played in the NFL? And they'll be like, what? You never told us that. Like that, they think that, you know, that's always the best part because we don't really, you know, it was something I did. It was fantastic. Um, I'll never forget it. It was a great experience. It was a dream come true. But, you know, like my dad said, you know, I try to bring value in, in what I do every day and learn from the lessons and, and kind of, you know, kind of try to move on from it um, and not really live in it because I, I never wanted that to be a hindrance. Joe Valerio, this was so much fun. Thanks for the time, sir. Uh, it's great to hang out with you, Matt. It really is. And best to your family. And I can't wait till we're together again and we can, we can grab a bite to eat in, in Society Hill or in Philly somewhere where we used to meet and, and catch up. 
And that will do it for this week's episode. Want to thank former Penn football star and former Kansas City Chief Joe Valerio for being our guest this week. If you like the show and want to help us out, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and give us a rating and a review. Now you can follow Joe Valerio on Twitter at Joe Valerio 73. You can follow the show on Twitter at one on one pod and you can follow me as well at Matt Leon 1060. Thanks so much for listening. And we will be back next week with another interview with someone you should know more about. Thanks a lot.